Hello, everyone. It's your guy, Victor, a.k.a. Five Wedges. Recapping this week's PGA Championship. It was a deeply anticipated event. Uh, the championship returned to Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York. And as we know, over the past three to five years, any major, any championship that's been hosted in New York has been approached with great anticipation. Not only are the fields some of the strongest in current golf tournament uh, fields, but we also know that those fields are greeted with the vigor, the, the, the action, the aggressive, the enthusiasm of those New York State fans. And certainly this year's PGA Championship did not disappoint. The storylines leading up to the event were Rory McIlroy. Could we see Rory get off the snide? We know that the weight of the Live Golf PGA Tour battle um, outside of the court, inside of the court. Rory certainly has been the spokesperson on behalf of the PGA Tour over the past year, year and a half. And it appears that that has started to seep in to his performance on the course. So we were waiting. Given that Rory had taken some time off, was he going to be rounding back into the form that we anticipate from him week in and week out, whether or not it's a major. We also saw the live golfers who had found themselves in this year's field. And it was an interesting narrative around that because certainly the PGA Tour in regular field events has taken its position that those that quote unquote defected from the PGA Tour would not be allowed back into normal tournament events, or even elevated events. But the majors uh, seemingly governed by how Augusta National and the Masters has handled this has seemingly left a crack in the door for the other three majors, and the PGA Championship certainly followed the lead of the Masters. And so we had that group headlined by Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, Abraham Answer, and many others found themselves traveling to Rochester this week and teeing it up on, on Thursday. And then certainly we had uh, a number of PGA Tour players. Jason Day, again, seemingly rounding back into form. And if you recall, Jason was someone that I put on the whiteboard at the beginning of the year anticipated that we would really see a, a positive trend line with, uh, with Jason. And last week, he, um, he won the tournament that just preceded the PGA Championship. And so anticipated looking forward to what he was going to do um, as follow-up to a really, really, really strong showing the week before. And then we had the other notables. We had your Patrick Cantlay. We certainly had John Rahm, who's doing great things this year. We had the Scotty Schefflers and many others who were finding themselves in the field this year. The other really unique aspect of the PGA Championship is that it is the crowning event for the 20,000-plus 20 
PGA Tour professionals who support you, me, those in our network, those in our family, those in our playing group who show up at golf courses every week, every weekend to really enjoy this game. This is their crowning event. And so I believe we had 20 or 21 PGA professionals who qualified for this year's event. And I think that either matched a record previously or it set a new one. So a ton of storylines coming into this year's event in what is known as Western New York. And what was interesting about Oak Hill in listening to their own pro talk about the challenge and the complexity of that course. It is so tough that he described it as someone who would be a scratch golfer at your local club would play to a seven handicap at Oak Hill. If you're a 10 handicap elsewhere, you play to a 21 handicap at Oak Hill. So you have the challenge in and of itself And then you had a course that has been manicured, manufactured, and set up for the world's best selective golfers to compete over four days and ultimately result in one champion. And by and large, this year's champion was a very familiar name to the Wanamaker Trophy, You know him, I know him, Brooks Kepka. It was really a a show of resiliency. It was a journey of self-belief. For Brooks personally, it was full circle. Uh, We all have followed the tour for the past three or four years. And during that time, Brooks has been very vulnerable and very transparent about his journey. Realized that I believe it was 17 or late 18 that he was having knee troubles. I came into the following season. Many of us learned that he had had a knee procedure done. A little bit more than just your typical arthroscopic knee surgery. Something that Brooks had to fight through physically. But he also had to overcome it mentally and emotionally. And again... If you follow Brooks over that time, you certainly understand the iterations that he has gone through to get to where he was on Sunday afternoon, evening. And as someone who's gone through my own knee surgeries a few times, I can completely align and understand the story of the journey and getting back to when you have to know and believe that that knee is in the best place it can be for you to perform the movements, the stability, get the best out of that knee that you need in order to play at a level that Brooks expects himself to play at. And so we saw that Brooks this week. We certainly saw someone whose confidence had been restored. Uh, We saw the steely-eyed, deeply compassionate, stoic Brooks Kepka. 
We also saw a Brooks Kepka who led the field or at least placed top 10 in every important category. Fairways hit, shots gained, tee to green, putting. Where it all mattered this week, Brooks was very competitive and was in the top 10 of all of those categories. I think more than anything, we know that in a major, it's a heightened level of anxiety. Um, Certainly, you want to make the cut, but you want to stand with the trophy at the end of Sunday. Brooks did an outstanding job getting through the cut, really seemingly intentionally and meticulously managing each of the four days. Once he realized he had made the cut and the field narrowed, it seemed like Brooks's strategy changed. And I think we can all agree that the one thing that played into his favor is he had done this not just once, not just twice, but three times. And so on Saturday and Sunday, Brooks found himself in a very familiar place. His game let him believe that he was going to be as competitive as he needed to be. Mentally and emotionally, I think that's where Brooks won the tournament. Again, we can capture the shots that he made, the way that he scrambled, the putts that he made. But as a former athlete, what's less talked about is your ability to lock in, to maintain your emotions, to manage that mental and emotional side all the way through to victory. And certainly nobody in the field was better positioned to do that in the PGA Championship than Brooks Kepka. And certainly we saw that on, on Sunday evening. And so we tip our hat to Brooks. Having said that, I think there are two questions that seemingly surfaced on hole 14 or 15 on Sunday. And my guess is that they're exactly the same two questions that went through your head on Sunday, somewhere about 14 and 15. And if they didn't pop in then, then by the end of the 18th hole, those questions were popping up in your head. If you were watching the tournament with someone else, I'm sure you started in on that discussion. And those two questions are, does this validate Live Golf? And does Brooks Kepka make the Ryder Cup? Well, time will tell. And as at the time of this recording, Brooks technically has qualified. He sits in the number two position for points that are used to give the automatic bids to Ryder Cup participants. There is so much more to the final decision. And as we know, the PGA Tour and Live Golf have been playing rock'em sock'em for the last 18 months, and that duel is in court. As I shared with a playing partner this weekend, 
for as much as Zach believes and wants Brooks to be a part of the team, Zach also has co-captains and I suspect people that he reports to or people that influence decisions on the Ryder Cup that may have an opinion that is very different than, than that of Zach. And we also know that some of the selected co-captains have been outspoken on their position of live golf to, to the defectors to anything PGA related. And I suspect they're going to mull over the decision as it relates to the Ryder Cup as well. Does it validate live golf? I'm not quite sure what that means. And I know it seems maybe easier than I'm making it at this point. Yes, it is a competitive tour, a competitor to the PGA Tour, some political ramifications on the, uh, around that. I absolutely get that. But when it comes to competition, from my own experience as a former basketball player, a former football player, a former baseball player, none of that seems to matter. What truly matters is, do you have the ability to play with a select group of individuals who are at the highest level of the sport? So, Liv seems to have some of that. Uh, some of their members uh, fared well at this year's Masters. And certainly did extremely well at this year's PGA Championship. So those are the two questions that seem to be two questions of the day. I can only imagine where you all sit on answering both. But as time goes on, we will get closer and closer and closer to an answer for both of those questions. Unique, unique leaderboard. We've already talked about Brooks, and at the end of the day, we saw a really nice balance between PGA Tour members, DP Tour members, Live Golf Tour members, and by the way, one PGA professional who certainly stole the entire weekend Use the word stole with the utmost respect. It was a phenomenal storyline to the week that was. And with all of that, the hoopla around Michael Block is still going on. Cannot say enough about uh, how he was able to perform, how he was able to manage his emotions, how he was able to stay in the moment. And that top 15 performance has guaranteed him a return to next year's PGA Championship played at Valhalla Golf Club, a return to Valhalla um, in Louisville, Kentucky. And so all the best for Michael. He has also been given some sponsors exemptions. So instead of going back to Southern Cal on Sunday, 
uh, his ticket was altered, and he is now in Dallas-Fort Worth to play in this week's event. And the Canadian Open invited him to come play next year. So kudos. We tip our hat. Tee to Green Golf Podcast and our community says congratulations to PGA professional Michael Block. Sticking with the other leaders, uh, we had a really, really unique balance of players who finished in the top. Uh, We saw a Rory McIlroy who really struggled out of the gates on Thursday, seemed to find a little bit of his game on Friday, enough of it that he was able to make the cut on Friday evening, came into Saturday. We saw Rory making a move, but we also saw some missed shots, some missed hits. Um, And so he kind of wavered, got himself into that top 10, and was well-positioned to make a run on Sunday. It just never materialized. And so I don't know where we position Roaring for the next two majors. It'd be interesting to sit down and and have a soda or or beer um, or or sweet tea with Roy just to ask him, where does he see himself right now? Um, Maybe we can say the trajectory is up. He has two majors left in this year to uh, to add another one to his his list of major victories. We also had Scotty Scheffler, and I'll be the first one to continuously tip my hat to, to Scotty. A friend of mine, uh, a playing partner last year, was uh, was strong on Scotty. I was still a bit skeptical, and this was before he actually made his run. Probably closed out calendar year 2022. Still a little bit skeptical. And I did that because there seemed to be a shifting of world number ones. I think at that point, there was three to six, three to seven players that at any given week or over the course of two or three weeks could have ascended to number one. So I wasn't certain that Scotty was at true number one. Uh, I have changed my position on that. I'm still a John Rahm guy and believe that John is still in the driver's seat to be player of the year. But the way that Scotty gave a run at the tournament on Sunday, I would suggest that right now, and this could be an in-the-moment comment, but I would suggest that right now, Scotty is the second-best chaser on the PGA Tour. Nobody's doing it better, and nobody has done it better than John Rahm, but Scotty certainly is one now that if he's not on the leaderboard and if he's within three to five shots on Sunday, the leaders without question are going to be looking over their shoulder. And Scotty did absolutely everything to make sure he reinforced that on Sunday. We had Justin Rose and and talked about Justin Rose maybe a few months ago during an episode. Like Jason Day, I thought that we would see a resurgence. And I use that word loosely with Justin Rose. And, and, And as I watched him over the four days, 
the question that I answered for myself is, it doesn't appear that Justin Rose is that golfer who's going to win tournaments where 15, 16, 17 under par is the winning score. But for those tournaments that have major championship-like setups, I think that we can talk about Justin Rose as one of the prohibitive favorites going into that. It looks like he has control of his game again. And so what that means is by all accounts, he's going to have the ball in the fairway. Very solid with his irons and generally strong on the putting surface. And so as I think about the U.S. Open and specifically the British, we will keep our eye on Justin Rose. And so maybe put a thumbtack in that one, Tita Green Golf Podcast community, and anticipate more dialogue on Justin Rose leading up to the next two majors, as long as he plays consistent enough for us to have that conversation. Corey Connors. Corey has been identified as the best Canadian golfer, male Canadian golfer in the game today. Really, really solid with his game, typically from tee to green. Saturday was kind of a master class in how he handled Oak Hill. Sunday, really, really tailed off. Uh, but he is not someone for us to keep our eye off of. Maybe let's peripheral vision Corey as the season goes on. Be interested to see what he takes away from this week and how that impacts how he plays for the next four to eight to ten weeks. So we'll keep our eye on that. Victor Hovland. Again, this is somebody that coming into this year, I've talked quite a bit about Victor. In fact, I have said that Victor, to me, is a really good Thursday-Friday player, but he fades away and tails off on Saturday and Sunday. He did not do that. I learned that he's been working very hard, specifically on his short game. A lot of that showed up this week, and so... Uh, Victor is is probably on the 50-yard line of, of the T Green Golf Podcast. And what that means is I can give him the benefit of the doubt that he'll be somebody we'll continue to talk about, specifically as it relates to majors. But I still have visions and images of that Thursday, Friday, Victor Hovland. And I'm not ready to let go of that as if he has completely shed that. So, did a really, really good job all day on Sunday. Unfortunately, it was on, I believe it was on 16. He didn't handle that very well. And that all but shut the door for him winning this year's PGA Championship. But nonetheless, he was really, really strong. Um, He played confidently. He played seemingly to win and, and not to lose. And so, again, much like Corey Connors, we will keep our eye on Victor Hovland going forward. Talked a little bit about uh, Michael Block. And, and what we know about Michael is he is 
the California State champion for PGA professionals. Up until yesterday, the largest check that he had received as a professional was $75,000. And so he literally went 4X and brought in about $290,000, deeply humble, extremely grateful. And he stands to add to that this week in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Just listening to some of his peers in Southern Cal, he's regarded as a legend. And so at whatever point he decides to head back home, it'll be interesting to see the hero's welcome that he he will be given, he and his family. So a really, 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 really good week for him, including the whole out on 15 that garnered a hug from from Roy McElroy. Going back to the live golf legit question. Again, I don't know what that means. Uh, I can speculate what it's intended to mean and the subsequent conversation from that. If the reference is is it a legit tour relative to the PGA Tour? I think we're a little early in that stage. And what I will say is because of the way they switch out golfers, invite some in, dismiss others at the end of a full season, I think it makes it very hard. But what I will say this early on is that Liv seems to be top-heavy, where you have your Dustin Johnson, you have your Cam Smith, you have your Brooks Koepka. And quite honestly, I'm not even sure Brooks has performed to be at that top tier uh, of that list. Maybe he's second level, but I don't know if he's performed that well on the Liv Tour, just as I don't know if Bryson has has performed that well on the live tour. So I'm not sure if legit is used to qualify it as a comparable tour to the PGA tour. I don't think that they are there yet. Certainly I don't think that they're at a point where they could be recognized as a comparable tour to the DP tour, let alone our very own PGA Tour. An interesting question, and certainly one that I think we all could have some conversation. Would love to just sit in a circle with a number of you listeners and and really talk about this, and that is uh, Bryson, again, Bryson DeChambeau at the end of Sunday suggested that Brooks's victory added relevancy to the live tour and presumably was directing his comment to the official world golf rankings, which as you all know, live tour participants are not granted points right now. And so with each passing week and how the game changes, new competitive players come into the space. Those individuals on the live tour 
fall further and further and further down the line, which ultimately makes it very difficult for them to get into some of these majors and or other tour events that extend invitations based on your OWGR ranking. And so I would be interested in sitting down with some of you and really talking through that statement by Bryson and where should we go right now? We know that Brooks finished second in the Masters and he won the PGA. Bryson performed well. I believe Phil performed well at the Masters. And so is the tour just somewhat, is live somewhat of a shadow for otherwise talented golfers? Golfers that we knew to be talented and competitive when they were members of the PGA Tour. I don't know the answer to that, but it certainly makes for a really, really good conversation among golf fans. We also had some surprises. And for me, surprises were in the way of miscuts. The most obvious was John Rahm. John just struggled. And if I'm not mistaken, he finished the tour, he finished the championship at plus 11 or plus 12. So in no way, shape, form, or fashion was he informed this week for Oak Hill Country Club. Ricky Fowler, someone that you all know I've been relatively high on this season. Rory missed the cut. Other notable golfers that I've talked about, and one in particular is Tom Kim. We remember Tom as the vivacious, youthfully energetic golfer that seemed to rise from the ashes. We saw him in Carolina late last year where he won his first event, ended up playing in the President's Cup, really came into 2023 with a, a, a positive upside. And it feels like he's in the midst of a sophomore slump. Really haven't heard much of him this year. Uh, I think his most uh, notable uh, event this week is he somehow found himself deeply muddied up on Thursday or Friday. But other than that, Tom did not have a good showing this week at, at, at Oak Hill. And from, from my vantage point, it really is another week of his consistently inconsistent performance as someone that came into 2023 with a lot of promise. In no way am I certainly being overly critical, just being observ observant of, of his performance up to this point. Talked about Jason Day. The other person that, uh, that missed the cut and was a bit of a surprise is Matt Fitzpatrick. And you all know that in terms of our European partners and our European players who are on the tour, I specifically have talked about Terrell Hatton, who actually finished in the top 20 this week. So I, I'm still going to be looking at him for the U.S. Open and the British. But I've also talked about Matt Fitzpatrick. And so to see him miss out this week was, uh, was, a, was a big surprise. Well, 
That concludes the PGA Championship review. It was a spectacular week, not just for our PGA professionals, but for Brooks Kepka. However you feel about Brooks, however you feel about his decision, I would hope that we all just take a moment to celebrate his victory and the journey that he has been on. If you have played sports at any level and sustained an injury that leads to surgery, you know how tough returning to form is, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. And so for Brooks, Sunday was more than just winning another PGA championship. It was really the culmination of a lot of painful experiences that left him in a questionable place, which is not a good place to be as an athlete. And so I know personally that I celebrated Brooks. Uh, I'm happy for him. Uh, I'm happy to see him back into play. And, um, you know, and through ESPN or, 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 or the Golf Channel, uh, or CBS, or whatever that venue is, I look forward to hearing about him leading up to our very next major. Once again, thank you all for keying into this episode, the PGA Championship Review, which was hosted by Oak Hill Country Club in Rochester, New York. It's in the books. Brooks Kepka celebrates his fifth major, and we look forward to our next major. Thank you. As I always say, hit it straight from T to green. We are out.